be one journalist of the year from the American Conservative Union at CPAC 2015. You like me right now. You like me. He's Jim Garrity. How do you like me now? Now that I'm on my She's a broadcast professional who's got pop culture by the throat, and she won't let go. Crank up the radio. Run for your lives, everyone. This is not a drill. She's broadcast pro Mickey White. How do you like me now? This is the Jim and Mickey Show. Welcome to the Jim and Mickey Show, brought to you by the Daily Planet newspaper. Some great metropolitan newspapers focus on politics. Some focus on the business world. But the Daily Planet, we focus on just three particular beats. What Superman is doing, what local billionaire inventor Lex Luthor is doing, and potential Kryptonian invasions. And that's it. We don't even bother with reports of that bat vigilante across the bay in Gotham. Now, it's tough to do this with a staff of only four reporters, one of whom is always running away in the middle of a crisis. But we work around the clock to bring you the top stories. Well, those three top stories. The Daily Planet, when you need to know just about I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, how are you? I understand uh, this this is kind of a momentous week for us because one of our favorite discoveries of this year's television season, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, has come to an end. Yes, and uh, welcome back. Nice to be here, listeners. And uh, yeah, the the O.J. Simpson phenomenon is what I would like to call it about The People vs. O.J. Simpson, the... uh, the fictionalized version of what went down in 1994 and 95 um, has just been unbelievable. I mean, people are ready to throw Emmys at the cast and the writers and the crew. And the TV and... set. <laughs> What's that? And the TV set. <laughs> Cuba well, Gooding Jr. as O.J. Simpson. Come on! Okay. <laughs> Look, as I've said since the beginning, my number one problem with this show was Cuba. <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. is a terrible OJ Simpson. Like, I, I just can't. Like, I can't. He's the worst. Everyone else does really, really well. Um, but what I think was so phenomenal is at the end of it, you wanted to know what happened next, even though we know what happened next. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's a part because of it left you with that feeling inside of like. One of the things that you guys know, I love true crime, right? So I have obsessively read about this trial. Um, The forensic side, the emotional side, like, you know, the families. I've read it all. Here is what I will tell you. Much like the Stephen Avery trial and making of a murderer and pretty much every other controversial um, outcome or verdict, comes down to shoddy police work and shoddy investigation on the part of the prosecution. And I say this because the the one thing that is going to get someone off is reasonable doubt. That's all right. And with all of the decisions that were made, I mean, rush to judgment became a term because of that. And there were a lot of things that really changed in our culture because of it. I think You know, um, there's a scene, and I don't want to give any spoilers for anyone, um, but there are scenes at the end of the finale where it shows people post the verdict, but only, like, the first couple days. And it's maybe possibly one of the most heart-wrenching kind of montages that you're ever going to see. 
Um, Mickey, I had really been hoping for a shocking twist ending where in the FX series, OJ gets convicted. <laughs> Suddenly change, change history, show that. Goes on a killing spree one. in the courtroom. Yeah, something good. Yeah. Just to see something, you know, all of a sudden, because you know, the joke from the beginning of this announcement of this series is, well, everybody knows how it ends, so how's it going to be interesting? Now, throughout the series, we've seen, by revealing these details that only came out you know, years later in, in books and uh, Jeffrey Tubin's uh, uh, nonfiction, you know, almost encyclopedic look at, the, uh, at how, it, uh, how it turned out, um, we feel like we're learning a lot that we didn't know at the time and the things that now kind of seem clearer at the time. Um, I, I think the – having not seen the final episode – uh, and I noticed the, the, the great irony of the great joke, Mickey, of announcing no spoilers. Let's not people know how the people. Ver- let's not let the audience know how People vs. O.J. Simpson turned out. Right. <laughs> Most people are like, wait, I remember. It's true because like you're invested in not just the trial in this case, you're invested in the people. Am I correct for sensing that the, the creators of the show insisted that they wanted to be uh, even-handed to take no opinion on whether O.J. actually did it? But I. F- feel like there is a theme to the episodes I've seen so far. And if I'm, I'm on the think, right theme. I'm on the right, uh, I'm on the right interpretation here. Well, Whether- I, think, I think that what they build is an understanding of why there was the reasonable doubt. Okay. Um, I, I get the feeling from the opening montage of the L.A. riots in 1992... Yes. That it's pursuing two two separate. That ultimately, the prosecution and the defense were talking past each other on two different issues. Yeah. Meaning that the the viewpoint of Johnny Cochran, the viewpoint of many African Americans in Los Angeles in the early to mid nineteen nineties was they had a corrupt police force. They had a police force they could not trust. They had a police force that they did not believe uh, applied the law equally, and they felt like they were. Um, under siege in their own communities by their own police force. And then the flip side is O.J. Simpson had nothing to do with that. (laughs) And that, you know, if you want to make this point about the police force, there are a lot of better people you could pick as your symbol of uh, the unfairly oppressed and the unfairly accused than O.J. Simpson. Um, and I kind well, of like 20 not, years not later. necessarily, and I say this because, and I mean this, and everyone, you know where to send the hate mail um, directly to me. I say this because, again, I'm a big believer, and you better prove it. Like, the, the everything lies on the state. And they made choices throughout this entire investigation that ultimately led to several resignations and a federal investigation into the LAPD's handling of black people. So it was a win. Mm. And, and I understand that people want to get justice, right? They want justice for Nicole Brown Simpson. They want justice for Ron Goldberg. I get that, Ron Goldman. I get that. However, justice doesn't necessarily mean that O.J. Simpson did it. If you look at how the police handled the initial investigation, they looked at no one else at all. In fact, I believe it is Martin Sheen who has put together a documentary based on his theories as to who actually did it. He I'm apparently sure hired investigators, etc. Now we know Mark where Sheen. Charlie gets it. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, it's Martin Sheen, not Charlie Sheen. We're sure of that? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so Nick, uh, uh, on the point you're making, I, I think the most, the most 
most poignant, revealing, and probably like to summarize an entire 10 hours of television in, in one line of dialogue. It's in the initial accusation when Johnny Cochran lays out his, his philosophy for the defense argument. And OJ says, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Um, which I think says so much about how he sees himself, about how he, uh, the, the kind of the perception of what that meant in Los Angeles to be black. Um, how he, the life he had lived beforehand. So I kind of feel like that if there was like one moment where you're like, this, this is the crux in which the entire series uh, 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 balances upon or, or that turns upon, it is that where he stopped being O.J. Simpson and he started being the symbol of the black community in this case, which I think ultimately, you know, I, I don't think it's too much to say that it was a, a major factor in the jury's thinking. It was just bad timing. They picked a black person to defend against police oppression, and the black person they yeah. picked was a multimillionaire, much-loved movie star and famous athlete, and he just doesn't need that level of defending from anything. Well, I mean, suppose they'd go pick a different white athlete. Suppose a, a famous white male athlete like um, Bruce Jenner. <laughs> Yeah. Who now realize is much more connected to the OJ events than we ever knew, right? Mickey? <laughs> oh, I, oh, yeah. I, I sent you the article. It's 19 reality shows that were spawned after the OJ Simpson trial. If that was the original reality show, it certainly was the original court TV obsession um, of the country. And, um, you know, obviously you have all the Kardashian shows, et cetera. You also had The Hills. People forget about the hills because that's where we first met Brody Jenner, um, and and introduced ourselves to that family. Real Housewives. I mean, there were several that spun off of that, and um, and you know, it, it's really interesting to me that here we are, you know, what um, go twenty plus years later, mm-hmm. and we still don't really know what happened that night. And one of my problems as being a true crime person is that I don't trust eyewitnesses, like, at all. Primarily because they're trying to be helpful. And so they tend to add details as they go along, etc. And, you know, it. when you're pointing out that the man who found all of the evidence has admittedly planted evidence before Mm. and he was the one to go and find all the evidence and when a cop takes evidence home that's not procedure that any of us would want to have if we were sitting in oj simpson's seat yeah um the buzzfeed article you you sent to me it it concludes of reality television being the house that oj built um (laughs) and, and, and there's a certain you know logic to that because if you look at it um I think of you know Roger Kosick and then Greta Van Susteren, then of, of CNN or maybe it was Court TV, whatever. They, 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 they anchoring this day in day out. It's an interesting argument to say that the O.J. Simpson trial was the first reality show. It did launch Greta's career, didn't it? That's what got her oh, yeah. the plastic surgery and everything. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and it's you know kind of it, it definitely altered the way. Like on the one hand, people look at it as this this. Um, abysmal uh hour in the in the you know in the history of generation coverage it was obsessive it uh focused on the trivial it turned the justice process into a uh into a circus on the other hand for like one year the american people got a really in-depth lesson on how criminal cases get tried 
right? I mean, as you say, you know, DNA evidence, all that. It completely altered the way people saw the jury system, how people saw the justice system. Um, and, you know, it, you know it, it was not necessarily all bad, even if you want to say reality television is the most toxic legacy <laughs> of, the, of the O.J. Simpson. Uh, the, the worst thing O.J. Simpson ever did, Mickey, was create, uh, create reality television. Okay, second worst, second worst, second or third worst. Nice. And again, agree to disagree on so many topics, and this is always going to be one of them until someone gives me some solid proof. That's all I'm saying. Um, But, you know, while there are many reality TV shows out there that exploit and, you know, really kind of dumb us down a little every time we watch them, and that's why we watch them, There are some, like American Idol, that have literally changed lives. And we're going to talk about that coming up. I know my own needs. And what I need from an automobile, I know I get from this new Cordova. I could ask for nothing beyond the quality of Cordova's workmanship, the tastefulness of its appearance. I request nothing beyond the thickly cushioned luxury of seats available even in soft Corinthian leather. Yet it is on the highway where Cordoba best answers my demands. I have much more in this small Chrysler than great comfort at a most pleasant price. I have great confidence, for which there can be no price. In Cordoba, I have what I need. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Mickey White, along with Jim Garrity. And who can forget that very first moment? When Kelly Clarkson was standing up there with Justin, whatever his name is, Warini, and they looked at each other and they hugged and they kissed, and Kelly was announced the very first American Idol. And who could um, forget Mickey? Me. <laughs> was, was he the guy? He was okay. All right, is that first season? Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Justin Warini. Justin Warini was the guy who looked like Sideshow Bob. Okay. Um, and a little like Carrot Top. But it was amazing as someone who watched that very first season as a fan. Um, I was in media at the time, but I wasn't working for Fox yet. And as a fan watching the show, and there was a moment when Kelly Clarkson sang Natural Woman that you were like, oh, my God, she's the one. Like, there were still probably 10 people left, but it didn't matter because, like, that was her moment. And that has happened so many times throughout the show And it's funny to me because when it was first starting up and I ended up working at Fox um, in the earlier seasons and everyone thinks it was a huge juggernaut from the beginning. Not true. Hmm. Um, It was originally a very hard sell because it was such a unique idea. And in a sense that, you know, people were like, well, we had Star Search, so we're not really sure that this is going to take off. Um, and whenever it got to the opportunity to actually go to sponsors and get them involved with American Idol, I have personally been involved with many American Idol promotions, events, um, even searching and holding auditions. So this is definitely an end of an era for me, and it's just amazing to watch how many careers came out of it. Mm. 
See, I, I'm going to largely agree, Mickey, although I'm going to make an, a point that if you went to the average non-American Idol fan, uh, maybe somebody who watches the finals or sees the coverage of the final winners, um, I ask them, how many American Idol winners can you name? I have the list right here in front of me. Kelly Clarkson, everybody you know knows and remembers. Mm-hmm. People probably remember Ruben Studdard, uh, the second oh, season yeah. winner, really big guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go down the list, Carrie Underwood, probably their, their most Can't famous one. Sad. Queen of that. Prop, maybe Taylor, uh, Jordan Sparks, maybe. And don't forget Catherine McPhee. She finished second to uh, Taylor Hicks, but she's turned out to be a huge star. Yes. Uh, maybe, you know, like one or two other. Philip Phillips, I hadn't even realized yeah. was one of those. Yeah. The non winners seem to get better careers than the winners. That guy, yeah. Chris, the rock and roll guy, he, he was number oh. four. And the runner-up to Ruben Studdard, Clay, what's his name? He's more famous than Ruben That's Studdard. That's true, yeah. So I'm going to say people can probably name, let's say, anywhere from a half dozen, maybe a dozen, right, if they really think through also the non-winners. There have been 14 seasons. So I, my suspicion is, is that a show like American Idol, um, as unique as it was, particularly when it debuted, as much as people got into the idea of the competition, as much as people enjoyed uh, seeing people living out their dreams on the screen – that there was always going to be a law of diminishing returns. That for for you know uh, Kelly Clarkson to come along and say, "Hey, I'm the I'm the winner of American Idol." Like that first year in 2002, you're the only person who's done that. The person who wins American Idol now will be the 15th person to do that. And all of a sudden, it's not quite such a unique status to have. There are 14 other people uh, competing for contracts and gigs and the attention of music fans. So I kind of feel like any competition show over time is going to um, uh, it's going to kind of diminish the the unique status of its winners, um, particularly as it becomes something that's not you know a really unique uh, title to have. But you end up becoming one of a larger and larger group. Also, like you're not, it's interesting. The first couple everybody knows and remembers. Um, obviously, the more recent winners haven't had as much time on the. You know, but for example, quick name the last three, Mickey. <laughs> the last three. Yeah, I can't do it. Okay. Uh, well, Philip Phillips. Was two uh, years ago. Actually, 2012. Yeah, I said two years ago. Four years ago. Or whatever. <laughs> what? What? It's four years ago, 2012. This is 2016. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I, He's I been really time do. traveling. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> well, here, herein lies your problem, in, in my opinion. There is a law of diminishing returns. Okay, without a doubt, there are people that I love. Um, Caleb Johnson was a winner that I absolutely adored. Um, he was a winner last year. There were um, others that have come up, but one of the things that's a little bit different is each of them is it is has had the ability to adjust their style. So some of them go into gospel, some of them go into R and B, some of them are pop stars for real, and that's where you get your you know. Really, you know, Carrie Underwood, Jennifer Hudson, um, you know, Kelly Clarkson falls in this as well. But all of them kind of fall into a different category. But one of the other problems with, you know, the lack of interest, if you will, in American Idol was the creation immediately following of The X Factor, The Voice, um, America's Got Talent. I mean, you name it, you can only have so many, quote, talent shows on the air. They swamped the genre. They really did. Yeah. They did. They swamped the genre. And, I mean, even with, like, Dancing with the Stars, I don't – I haven't looked at the ratings lately, but I can only imagine they go down. Yeah. 
they wouldn't be ending it if it was it was quite the same pop culture phenomenon. And and the other observation I'm thinking there, Mickey, how much of that appeal, particularly in the early seasons, was the embodiment of 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 it was the of the anti participation trophy, Simon Cowell, telling people who stink that they stink. You are the worst singer I've ever heard. It's the way you look that's putting us off. Yes, you have personality, but dogs have personality. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, by far, one of, the, yeah. one of that, the best parts of American Idol was always having that voice there, whether it be Simon or whether it be, um, and, and, and later years it actually became different people, but it, it was that voice of someone telling them, like, no, you suck. Like, and I and I may have even told this story on the air before, uh, so apologize if I did. But I remember at one of the auditions that we were holding um, for American Idol in order to get in to see one of the producers, and I was in charge of the entire production, which was, you know, imagine me doing all of this. I love it, but at the same time, I want things running like clockwork. So I'm talking to everybody in line, and some people were lined up since like three o'clock in the morning. I talked to a group of kids that were skipping finals. To come so that they could support their friend who was going to sing. And I'm like, great, you guys, you know, wow, you know, good friends, hope your professor, you know, whatever. But I'm thinking as I go back to give them their number, like, this kid must be good if, you know, all these people are here to support him, etc. He gets up on the stage. The child could not sing. He could not carry a tune in a bucket. He could not, he, he had nothing. I mean, like nothing to offer. Howled like a coyote. (laughs) And all I could think was as I glared across the room at his supposed friends was, you're not his friends. Or you would not have told him he was good enough to come up here and try out for this. This is ridiculous. To say nothing of skipping finals. (laughs) Well, right. And the thing is, like, like, I assumed that he was going to open his mouth and, you know, like, some angelic voice was going to come out based on what they had told me. Butterflies, and rainbows, gets, and cotton candy coming out of that mouth for sure. Right. <laughs> and he gets up there and I, I swear to you was one of the worst singers I have ever heard. You are the worst singer I've ever heard. It would have sounded better if you had literally vomited rainbows and butterflies <laughs> and cotton candy out of your mouth. The the sound of your retching would be more pleasing. One of your friends had sang it. <laughs> your friends are betraying you or they are secretly laughing at you you and they need were, to go they knew that your humiliation would be so delicious they were willing to skip finals you over need it. to go on a exactly. killing spree like, what did I tell you and so like when when people talk about you know the people that get sent in in front of the judges and producers that are just so horrible that they feel like there's no way that they can be real trust me those people believe it with all their heart that they can sing, that they are special, and they are talented. And they walk and away cursing the staff, going, I'll show you. <laughs> I'll be famous. And if it's not Simon, then it was Harry Connick Jr. telling them to go ahead and carry their little asses out the door. <laughs> and go. So, uh, thinking back, probably William Hung is probably the most famous loser to be on the show. <laughs> Air quotes as I say the word loser because not only did I believe they made at least one or two single CDs marketed as, you know, remember that guy who was terrible on American Idol? Here's a song. 
Um, but I also seem to remember not only making money off those, that he actually then went on and had like a fairly successful career as some computer programmer. And like developing software. And like there is a life after American Idol for those who don't do particularly well or in some cases like just riotously badly. Mickey, you remember William Hung? Yes. Oh, do I ever remember William Hung? Um, again, dipping back into my old life, we actually put together a tour for William Hung where he showed up. It was a mini tour. He showed up saying she bangs and maybe a couple other things. People loved it. I got nothing. I'm just saying we did it. And you wonder how the market got flooded in diminishing returns? Well, so, there you go. So can we list you as like one of the organizers of the William Hung tour of, of no. what, whatever year that was? Like that's, that no, is no, no. <laughs> Don't you put want that, that on no. right there. I no, definitely in jail. I was definitely in jail then. <laughs> Yeah, that blank space on the resume, I was in jail at that point. Yes, your producer has decided William Hung is the theme music for this segment. Don't you worry about it. Damn. Damn. Well, you know, that's actually not the worst lead-in to the next segment. I'm going to introduce you guys to a brand new show that is a documentary called Weedicate. Stay right here. We'll be right back. Thank you. <laughs> you can't sing, you can't dance, so what do you want me to say? Any place, any time, is a good time for Coke. Only Coca-Cola gives you that refreshing new feeling. shooting a relative. Just shoot one little duck, duck, and get this big jar of Tang. Tang? Goodbye, Auntie. You missed, but you can't miss with Tang. And if you really want Tang at its best, make up a pitcher full and cool it off in the refrigerator overnight. Great for breakfast or any tasty old time. Mmm. Just cuddle in some of that Tang. Okay, Aunt Duck, hold still. Why, you miserable tankster? Now wait, I was just kidding. March. Step right up, folks. Get to rabbit and win a big jar of tang. It's a living drink tang, gang. It's tangerific. Now, back to the Jim and Mickey show. Yeah, crank up the radio. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And Mickey, it's a shame we live in such a rude, uncouth society. It's a shame that Miss Manners isn't still around to let us know how to greet people, how to make pleasant, appropriate small talk, how to behave in public, warmly welcoming a guest, how to behave when we are a guest. And even more importantly, Mickey, I find there's absolutely no well-established marijuana or weed etiquette. But you tell me there's a television show. 
<laughs> approaching, addressing this giant pressing, or at least in certain states, na- <laughs> national concern. Uh, Mickey, what is Weedicat? Weedicat is a series. Um, it's a documentary series of being hosted on the Vice TV network. And it basically highlights all of the different uses for marijuana, medical, recreational, and um, all the different forms as well. Each each series, or I'm sorry, each segment, each episode goes into a different part of the marijuana, I guess, world, if you will. So they get into medical marijuana, the laws involving it, travel, um, tourism, the economy of it, um, the spawn-off economies of it. It's it's a fascinating look at it, and what I find interesting is, as you all know, I'm I'm very pro legalization and pro medical marijuana because it has worked in many cases to help people. If it helps people, I don't care. That makes me fine with it. Um, there are no ODs on marijuana. There are apparently 12 and 10 days of ODs out in San Francisco on opioids. So you can see how I tend to lean the other direction. One of the most powerful segments is one called Stoned Vets. And it goes into vets, as in veterans, that have PTSD. And the THC oils and the THC in medical quality weed actually helps them with their PTSD and they don't have to take all the opioids. And, and I'm assuming none of these vets have seen any, you know, negative side effects or, you know, beyond an enormous <laughs> capacity for Doritos or, or things like that. Obviously, you know me, I get into a show and I become an evangelist for it. Like, oh, you've got to watch the show. Yeah. And so one of the shows I've been sending people to because it is on, available, I believe, on demand. I've been DVRing them when I can catch them because I just caught it randomly and fell in love with the idea of it. Showing kind of both sides. Um, But there's an episode, like I said, called Stone Vets. That in that episode, you see at the very beginning a gentleman who is following like VA protocol. He goes to the VA. He gets the meds they give him. And you see the life he lives. You then see in comparison veterans who have decided to go what they consider to be the natural route. Um, which, you know, and many people believe that in working with PTSD and have been able to give up sometimes up to 100 pills a day that are being prescribed by the VA. And so it's one of those, the the man who, you know, stayed on the opiates, you see how his life turns out because they stay with them for like a year. And the man who, the men, I should say, because there are several veterans on there as part of the group um, working to legalize specifically uh, for medical use for PTSD because of all of the, you know, suicides and whatnot going on at the vet. And a lot of it they believe to be related to the fact they're just handing them pill after pill without actually doing anything to help. Hmm. And um, it's a pretty touching and moving uh, episode as as well as really kind of scary and informative. Mm. Um, my only uh, uh, cautionary note when you describe the natural route, Mickey, is that uh, hemlock is natural as well. Um, where this, this is this is Vice Network, which grew out of the HBO series Vice. 
I am not 100% sure about that, but yes, I believe so. In fact, I've actually, listeners, I've been trying to get in contact with the gentleman who hosts this show. So um, if any of our listeners are connected at Vice, I would love to bring him on the show and actually talk about his findings and his experience because his um, his approach was one that I found to be both balanced and entertaining. Um, one of the first, you know, the, the HBO Vice series, when they... Uh, choose the right topic can be absolutely fascinating. They have some very good people working over there. Um, if you can, if you can stand like a Brooklyn hipster explaining something like the Kashmir dispute to you, uh, it really does cover yeah. things that nobody else covers. And one of their first ones was about, you know, it was in Colorado shortly after the the uh, marijuana had been legalized. And my understanding of it, Mickey, is that it's it's almost entirely a because. A lot of banks are wary about working with legal pot dealers just because of the stigma or protests or controversy or things like that. So you end up having, if you're a legal pot dealer in, in Colorado, at least in this, in this early stages of, of legalization, just an enormous amount of cash. Gee, does that sound dangerous to have in a you know, world full of criminal people? So they had you, what you would picture as like Blackwater level security. Right? I mean, just, just unbelievably well-armed guys who, who were trained professionals who knew exactly what they were doing who were there to guard the transporting of both the marijuana and the giant piles of cash from their uh, stores and storefronts to their central location. Do you know who was doing the work to protect all of those drugs and all of that money, Mickey? Do you tell Jim Garrity? <laughs> Retired DE agents. <laughs> <laughs> of course they were. It's I like can uh, just re- imagine. retired IRS employees helping you cheat on your taxes, right? Yeah. I mean, like, well, you get, it's all perfectly legal, but I can only imagine they, they were a couple of you know comments from enforcement agency agents who had spent a good portion of their professional careers putting people behind bars for uh, consuming marijuana, possessing it, uh, distributing it, now acting as security on perfectly marijuana distribution businesses. Well, so you will be happy to know. If you if you actually engage and watch Weedica in one of the episodes that talks about the spawning of the the economy that is related to the marijuana trade but not necessarily involved in it, that they have now developed their own there's there's one company in particular, but several others that have developed their own security and their own bank for these people. And so so I don't know if they hired the ex DEA agents. <laughs> Or if they hired someone else entirely, but you really should see the vault. It's yeah. kind of amazing. I, I figure it would have to be. Um, now, when we talk about the the pot related economy, uh, Mickey, one has Cypress Hill planned to come back to her? I just figured they'd be the first ones who would have the most glaring, obvious, or, or actually maybe it might be bad for them in that as you know, marijuana becomes legal. Does it become less of a symbol of rebelliousness and defiance and, and youthful, you know, uh, disregard for what the old fogie, what the old fogies are saying? Since now it's the old fogies who are saying we want legalized weed, and we want to go down to the corner store and buy it. Does Snoop Dogg lose right. his radical <laughs> we edge? We want to get to the corner store and we want to buy it. What? <laughs> yeah, that that I, I think that there's there's a part a part of that that's happening. I think the other thing is that there's a realization in this country that we really do have a heroin problem. We really do have um, an OD problem. We have a lot of problems with our vets. We have a lot of problems with suicide related to the drugs that they're on and feeling like they're hopeless. And I think that we need to look at every option on the table, especially when it comes to our veterans. 
and give them whatever it is they need when they come home to make them feel like they are welcome here and they are comfortable. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the heroin overdose epidemic. Uh, Mickey, I'm sure you've seen that in some states they're now selling over-the-counter um, the the antidote for for there's a drug used to treat uh, heroin uh, overdoses and I guess it's you know you you take something you stick it up somebody's nose and it gives them whatever drug is necessary when they're in the the you know stages of the the seizure or other reactions to an overdose and I, I, you know schools are starting to supply this they're not starting to give paramedics places like uh, Vermont and New Hampshire and places like that where you really have you know an overdose a day. And I'm just kind of looking. Like, are, are we just is, are we reaching a point, Mickey, where we're just we're supposed to have overdose medication just just lying around, kind of like the, the it used to be you had fire extinguishers no, around. Not in my opinion. I Jesus find that now. very troubling to say the least. Um, considering the fact that I cannot go and purchase Mister Biased an inhaler, like a quick action inhaler <laughs> anymore. <laughs> It's slightly bothersome that they can go ahead and get their, you know, I'm guessing it's some form of adrenaline. I mean, it's not going to go all Pulp Fiction. You don't get to needle your friend. But, <laughs> you know, I'm guessing it's some form of adrenaline that they put up their nose. And it's I actually mean, the kind of drug that releases the opiate from the nerve sensor thing. It pushes it out. It's something with more of a binding on the pain nerve ending than the opiate has on it. And it pushes it out. It's a very sudden uh, withdrawal inducer, is what it is, and it's really powerful. They yeah, use nothing it will go clinics. wrong with that at all. That that'll totally work every single time. They use them in the in the clinics, the treatment clinics for those. Well, but my thought is, if somebody's using them at home, yeah, also the idea of well, I'm just going to have these lying around just in case. Uh, just seems like right, an odd. Well, like, do you just go and get one? And, like, how do you explain yourself? Like, I like to go it, ahead and get one of those OD packs just in case. Just in Honey, case. Can you I, grab, grab one of the overdose drugs? <laughs> it's, it's in the second drawer from the left. Just in no, case. No, I have to become a drug drawer. addict. <laughs> I, want, I, like, I seriously want to go camp out at, like, a CVS and just wait. <laughs> and somebody comes up and is like, I'd like to get some of the, uh, you know, just, like, a handful of those OD, you know, comeback drugs. I, I want those. I'm going to have to ask them why. Like, why are you getting these? Because you know you're going to OD? <laughs> Maybe stop doing heroin. I don't know. Just a thought. Alternately, Dave, if your description of the, the drug and its effects and how it works are that accurate, why is it we can develop a drug that will save you from a near-fatal heroin overdose when you are at the brink of death's door? But we can't get a pill to get rid of a hangover. <laughs> Which one of these strikes me as the more common need? Yes, it's good to have people life-saving and all that kind of stuff. But really, like you know, there are certain uh, medical needs that, that go <laughs> that go untreated when uh, you know we manage to. And, and, oh, I, I was learning the other day that it turns out you know, that, that Viagra was created because they were trying to create a heart disease drug. <laughs> yep. They were trying that. to open up open up blood vessels. Yeah. And it worked on the wrong ones. <laughs> or the, That's how Viagra or the right one, depending on who you ask. Okay, I think the utility of this segment has come to an end. <laughs> if you find yourself having an overdose of this segment, please apply the drug now. <laughs> That's right. Up the old Is your excitement over this segment lasts more than four hours. <laughs> please feel free to contact Dave and Jim, not me. I'm, so I'm... moving forward, we're going to stop talking about weed. We're going to stop talking about all the vices, if you will. And we're going to talk about the superheroes, the ones that are out to save the world. Right, Jim Garrity? We'll be right back. 
Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball. Cut. What in the hell's diversity? Well, I, I could be wrong, but I believe uh, diversity is an old, old wooden ship that was used during the Civil War. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. In the last segment, we talked about dark grown-up topics like viagra and william hung such as weed legalization the consequences and drug overdoses and now we're turning to lighter happier topics like batman versus oh i'm sorry batman versus superman is even darker and more grown-up than weed legalization and heroin overdoses and topics like that um mickey i have finally seen Zack snyder's loud garish epic and um uh you know much like the the heroin overdoses we were discussing this too can be hazardous to your health Am I, am I correct? First of all, let me, let me put it to you. So when you, I assume you've seen the trailers. You're not the type who, who goes out and, and camps out and, you know, days before a superhero movie comes yes, out. But I've I mentioned Ben Affleck as Batman to you. What, what, what comes to your mind? It's all wrong. Like, <laughs> it's just wrong. Like, I'm going to pretend that this never happened. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Can I'm I just insert say. a thought about Batman versus Superman? Didn't Superman physically defeat General Zod, a man who had the same powers as himself on this planet in this atmosphere? Isn't Batman technologically assisted but just a human being? How can Batman even fight yeah. Superman? Well, that's why you have to and see why? the movie, Dave. Except you really don't. Um, <laughs> so here's, so here, here's the, the two points. Um, one being, that actually, so I, I would characterize this movie uh, much like, uh, I think it was Jonathan Last of the Weekly Standard put it, an, an interesting failure, which is different from a boring failure or a um, or a, just an overall top-to-bottom failure. Zack Snyder went in an unexpected direction or two with this. I'm not sure they were the right choices with this, but he, he, was, he wasn't going to do this by the you know, coloring book, paint by numbers, very predictable. And ironically, Ben Affleck as Batman works relatively well. He's, he's a much better Batman than I think anyone was expecting. Um, on your basic point, so if you're going to title your movie Batman versus Superman, we kind of need to know who wins, right? Like, like, you don't just have to have one die at the end, but no, you know, there, there should be a clear victor and a clear, uh, clear uh, defeated one, and, and that's not quite so clear from this movie. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert. I, it's been out three weeks. You, you should be up to speed by now. Okay, well, um, real quick, I don't know if it was you who used this term to me um, or if it was from one of the articles that I read, but they referred to the universe that was created in Superman or I'm sorry Batman versus Superman as murderverse (laughs) yeah yeah Um, the first big difference between our world and the world of DC comics that we see in this movie Mickey is that uh, the world in the movie is very poorly lit Um, (laughs) apparently for some science fiction reason light bulbs just don't work that well and uh, (laughs) it's going to (laughs) say If, if, if ultimately, this is the only you know, for a good point. If you're thinking, if you're watching a superhero movie, and you're sitting there thinking, "I wonder," obvious, and um, why they didn't try. Uh, that's probably a bad sign. And I know, oh, by the way, it's always raining. It's always overcast. It's always um, things are always occurring at night. Um, so there, there's there's this visually, this is a very different. Well, one. I think see, they have been. You know, with, with Marvel comics and Marvel movies being so clearly established as fun and jovial and wisecracking, Tony, Snar- Tony Stark and uh, uh, Ant Man doing funny things, and, and you know, um, 
it, it's kind of that they say, okay, we can't do that. Let's go exactly in the opposite direction. Let's do like dark Shakespeare. And um, it. Uh, well, everything is. Like everyone loves to do a dark version, which is one of the reasons why I think the Avengers did so well. And we already had our dark Batman with Christian Bale. Um, I just don't feel, as someone who pays no attention to comics or superheroes whatsoever, I don't feel like. Superman belongs in a dark world. Like his world to me, whenever I imagine Superman, is all like bright colors and red, white, and blue, and the sun is shining, and you know, very fantastical. And yes, Batman's a little bit darker because you know you got that whole dark path thing, which is why I guess I wonder why I, I just can't. Why, Mickey? Did you put the microphone in your pocket by any chance? Because suddenly you sound like you're talking through a winter coat. No, I did not. Okay, well, that's better. That. Please continue. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, so I just, I, I'm very, very lost as to why this was necessary, uh, why Superman has to be dark. I, I don't get it. Uh, but yeah. again, I'm not the target audience, so that's cool. Unfortunately, it seems to have missed the mark with the target audience. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I, will, I will sing the movie's praises here. I'll give it three. three besides the... Uh, the observation that, that Affleck is better and Jeremy Irons as uh, Alfred is, is, you know, Jeremy Irons is just not going to turn in a bad performance. That's kind of just, just a guarantee there. Um, the newcomer, Gail Godot, the Israeli actress as, um, as Wonder Woman, uh, basically the gist of – if Mrs. Campaign spot on film is basically the idea of what we're looking at here. Uh, this is, I, I felt very familiar every time she ran rings around Bruce Wayne. Um, <laughs> The third thing, are you ready for like the most surprising? If I said to you, Mickey, that Andrew Sullivan uh, and Neil deGrasse Tyson were in this movie and they didn't ruin it, uh, you, you'd probably want me treated for, for psychiatric evaluation, correct? Or I would consider the quality of the remainder of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning that you know they, they have cameos. And, and kind of the, the middle portion of the movie is Zack Snyder making the argument that if somebody – looking at a quote-unquote the real world. If somebody like Superman came along, somebody with a big red S on his chest, and he runs around, he saves people, he saves people from uh, exploding rockets and uh, burning buildings in Mexico and all these things around the world, that no matter how he was in today's society, the America of 2016, we would still be wary of him. We would still be distrustful. There would still people be- would be digging through his Smallville High School yearbooks trying to find mm-hmm. old chicks to yeah. up dirt on him. And, and there's this long segment in which the idea of how the world is, is reacting to Superman and the government is, is not sure they can trust him. And, and here he, the, the portrayal of, of Clark Kent is by and large as we've always seen him. Um, so I think Snyder is trying to make a point that we've become such a uh, cynical country and a cynical world, you know, perhaps with good reason when you look at what's actually happening out there in the real world, um, that even if somebody who you know, tried to act as unalloyed good, as indisputably heroic came along, um, our natural cynicism would make us question that person and whether how much we really want it, how much power we want in that person's hands. And that's ultimately what's driving Batman to say, look, um, even and, if he says he's good. Course, yeah. Yes. And of course, now the, the confusion and everything that happens in, in this particular movie, I'm going to guess 
they don't wrap it all up in this movie. Oh, very. You, you got it. Look, this is this is not really a movie per se, Mickey. This is what's called a franchise launcher. That basically, <laughs> I was like this, thinking we, origin story, but okay. Um, yeah. Just as every Marvel movie built up to the Avengers, DC is trying kind of shows and say we're going to start with the big team movie, and then they're all going to go their separate ways because it's very, they're already announced. It's they've already uh, completed shooting on the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, it's very clear they'll be making an Aquaman movie. Uh, they, they, the Flash and uh, yeah. other hero cyborg may kind of, you know, veiled cameos. Um, and it's also rumors that uh, uh, Suicide Squad's coming out. And uh, what's his name? Affleck is in talks to do a separate Batman movie by himself, which I, I find myself more intrigued by than I thought I was going to be going into this movie. And superhero so. fighting is also not just restricted to Superman versus Batman. The new Captain America movie is called Civil War, and it yeah. divides well, that, up. That's kind of a docudrama, uh, uh, Dave, that's based on the Republican primary. Um, <laughs> except there's except there's less bloodshed in the Marvel movies. Right. <laughs> well, uh, well, anyway, so that's, this is the second most exciting, geekiest topic that I've talked about, Mickey. Uh, but I, you know, after the break, we can talk about the one that has me really excited, if you can stand it. Keep Let's it right here. Let's do it. After the break. And please don't make the super suit green. Or animated. You, from Paytel Records, 22 explosive hits, 22 original stars, gallery. Oh, it's so nice to be with you. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Who the Candyman can. Liver snaps traits are made with real liver, and dogs love them. Welcome back to the Jim and Mickey Show. I am Jim Garrity, joined by Mickey White. And we were just talking about Batman versus Superman, but let's, let's just wipe the slate clean. That doesn't really matter. It was kind of disappointing. Mickey, it doesn't matter because this morning we saw the first trailer for Star Wars Rogue One. It is the non-trilogy one. It's going to be a standalone movie, and it looks really awesome. And I showed it to the boys this morning, and their little heads just exploded. <laughs> so that's something that will be uh, definitely on our radar screen as we peruse pop culture in the months to come. So you're just going to say that the boys' little heads exploded? Just them, yours? yeah. Just just them, that's all. You totally didn't get your action figures out and start playing with them immediately, did you? Shh, they're still wrapped. Waiting for the birthdays. <laughs> well, speaking of what you play with and what you don't, our Trivial Tuesday this week, um, I reached out to some of our followers on Twitter, um, and we really got into a conversation talking about games and games that you played as a child. Um, and someone, you know, we talked about how different the games that we played were compared to, you know, you aren't allowed outside without a parent now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the games didn't really even involve boards, but some did. And, uh, and I will have to admit, as you guys are probably not at all surprised, I was great at Trivial Pursuit. So that was one of my favorites <laughs> um, that popped up. And I actually had a friend from high school confirm that she remembers me like kicking ass on Trivial Pursuit. So that was cool. But I was surprised how many people had different versions of tag and freeze tag and hide and go seek. I mean, it seemed like each neighborhood had their own version. What kind of rules or, or what, what would make a really distinctive tag from uh, from regular tag? Well, you know, sometimes they have what they you, you, obviously there's freeze tag. But the, if you play freeze tag during the day, you step on the shadow instead of actually touching the person. Oh, <laughs> Them. So the and shadows then, get longer as the day goes on. <laughs> yes, and then yeah, exactly. And then there's one where you hide from the big bad wolf, 
And uh, I actually retweeted that out, and I'll have to find it and put it up. It's a fascinating outlay of the story, and everyone is named after, like, everyone's an egg color. Okay. And so he's coming, like, the hen house is coming in. They find the hen. They call your name. You got to run, you know, whatever. There's lots of running and chasing. Basically, what I determined was a lot of our outdoor games just involved us running around in the dark (laughs) until someone was like, come the hell in. And then I also realized, like, you know, all of the different monopolies. And I remember as a kid, it was really exciting, like, to play that we actually rolled the dice. But there were other games that had really cool ways of, you know, choosing your turn, like where you pop the bubble or you spun the little wheel. Did you guys have any favorite games like that growing up? I, I'm now realizing that it appears we played some painfully generic versions of tag and hide and seek and things like that. <laughs> um, we may have at some point uh, uh, trans, you know, added like a transformer element or a Star Wars element or something like that. But uh, by and large, it was uh, uh, versions that I also do remember playing GI Joe, like would be live action of like you know pretending either toy guns or sticks and uh, pretending to shoot each other. As we all know, that's a thought crime now. And uh, all children, even within remotely within three miles, must be suspended from school uh, if you even discuss it. So that's you know. okay. One of my great stories on this was that one of my favorite outdoor activities as a child, my best friend was a boy. Shocking. I know everybody. <laughs> um, and we would go and play in the grapevines, like crawl up in them, et cetera, whatever, mess around down in the grapevines. And um, his brother was there. Uh, one day and actually shot me in the knee with a BB gun. Now, I was in less pain than I was fearful of going home and telling my grandmother that I'd just been shot in the leg with a BB gun because I was down in the grapevines with the boys. That'll teach you to make <laughs> friends with girls. As- I was going to say, at that point, you end up with the, uh, the, the return fire would not be from a BB gun, right? The consequences would not be of, of such small caliber. So to speak. Yeah, he lost his BB gun, but I felt horrible. And like I said, the worst part about it was with the walk home and realizing, like, I'm going to have to tell them he shot me with a BB gun. And I'm going to have to tell them that we were down in the grapevines. And I was not looking forward to that conversation, like, at all. I was probably about nine, maybe, at the time. Yeah, yeah, I can see that that uh, kid getting sent away for a long time for the BB crimes and stuff. So, <laughs> so did he go on to to a, to a terrible life of, of violence and and you know he's now a, a a mob boss or something like that? No, actually, now he is a well-adjusted, um, just turned grandfather and been married, has children, and is extremely successful in a tech career. <laughs> Ironically, making BB guns. No, uh, <laughs> marketing shoot 'em up games in which you're running around trying to shoot a character who looks like Mickey. So, exactly. Well, These are the formulative you. experiences that shape our lives. I want. I do want to reach out and thank all of our listeners who participate in our online games, um, and those of you who have signed up to be a fan of our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash Jim and Mickey Show. Um, we do have some big news coming. Um, about our website and some expansions with TJMs and the family and the franchise. Um, so do keep listening for that. We may be looking for volunteers and for help. So uh, keep an eye out for that as well. You can always find us here at soundcloud.com 
forward slash Jim and Mickey show. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spreaker and you can find us on Google Play and iTunes store. So feel free to look us up by using the hashtag TJAMS, the Jim and Mickey show. I'm Mickey White. He's Jim Garrity. And you've been listening to the Jim and Mickey show. We'll be back next week. Like every girl in history
Yes! Cut the rain! I don't want to do this anymore. Give me my backpack back. What about me? He's not my real girlfriend anyway. Sorry. Sorry? Whatever. William, where are you going? No, we got one more shot. Come back!